As Jason said a moment ago, if you'd came in this uh, room 48 hours ago, it just looked completely different, transformed, and uh, it looked great, and everybody did great, and it was a great, great blessing to uh, see your children worship the Lord and to see them uh, learning about the Lord and loving their experience. So thank you so much for um, allowing us uh, to share that time with your children. Uh, each one of them is so precious to us, and we appreciate that so much. One of the things that you would have seen, but almost before it was over, Gene started taking up was the footprints that came from the door all the way up to where the children sat in their opening time. And I really kind of wanted those footprints to remain, but it was too late because they were almost... I mean, people started breaking down, and, you know, everybody was pitching in and helping after it was over. But it is no coincidence, and I love God's sovereignty. I love God's uh, organization, his order, his plans are perfect. And uh, I never know what's going to be happening in anybody's lives or in the lives of the church, uh, corporately speaking, as I'm preparing to preach through his word. One of the great things about preaching through God's Word is God knows exactly what we need, exactly when we need it. And uh, this morning, we're going to look at the passage as we're uh, looking in 1 Peter. We're going to look at the passage that admonishes us, that, that urges us to follow His steps. Isn't that neat? I, didn't, I wish I was smart enough or could orchestrate you know that, but I didn't, and that's really what the children have been learning all week, and then that's where we are this morning. I did Again, I didn't plan that, but I believe the Holy Spirit did, so let's try to pay attention to what the Lord might have for us. So turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, and beginning in verse 21, and then as you find your place in 1 Peter, I'm going to read what Jesus himself said in John 13, 15, and Peter, of course, would have heard the Lord Jesus say this. And so in uh, John uh, chapter 13 and verse 15, Jesus said this to his disciples right before, just moments before, hours before, a few hours before he went to the cross. He said, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done unto you. Now Peter heard that just short time before Jesus went to the cross. Now years later, Peter has been serving the Lord. Jesus has been in heaven. The Holy Spirit has been filling believers. And, and the church has been undergoing persecution. And Peter is writing to them because they've suffered. They've been going through great ordeal and hardship. And so Peter, who had followed the Lord literally, physically, for, for three years, now he had served the Lord for these... Uh, many years after Jesus had died and risen again and ascended up into heaven. And Peter writes to encourage believers who have said, I want to follow the Lord. I want to lift His name high. He is the only one that can save. And I trust Him alone to save me and to provide the forgiveness for my sins and wipe away my guilt. And so Peter writes to those believers, and in verse 21 he says, For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us. In this short passage he uses that term, for us, two times. For us, leaving us an example that you 
should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Verse 24. Who his own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. To follow his steps there means to trace his steps. It's, it's a word that, that you would use if you trace something lightly to follow it more clearly. It's an artistic term that's used here which means to trace. When I thought about Peter saying to follow Jesus' steps and record that for us 2,000 years later to read, I thought of the steps that Jesus followed the Lord. 2,100 feet from the Praetorium to Golgotha, where Jesus hung on the cross. About 700 steps. And the Bible tells us that Peter followed from afar, but he followed Jesus' steps all the way to the cross. And they led him out to crucify him, Mark 15:20 says. So I want you to think about that, and I think that probably that was in Peter's heart and in Peter's mind as he talked about Jesus suffering for us, taking our sins. And it's an example for us that we should follow in his steps. Now, none of us are going to a cross literally, but all of us are called to follow Jesus and to take up his cross. Really, in our daily lives. The Lord Jesus is not to be on the periphery of our lives. It's not to be some churchy religious experience that's kind of nebulous and, and, and it's just kind of shadowy and, and we say we love God and we're following Jesus and it's just kind of on the edges of our life. It is to be our life. Follow His steps. The kids sang about a moment ago, wherever the trail, around every corner, we're to follow Him. He's going to be there. He's leading us. He's guiding us. He's our guide. All this week, that's what they've been learning. And that's exactly where the Holy Spirit of God takes us this morning in His Word. I can't imagine how much pain Peter felt as he must have thought throughout the course of his life about following Jesus from a distance as Jesus was led away to be crucified. I think about how... How so many believers miss out on so much that God has for them because they follow at a distance. They've claimed Christ as their Savior and they say, I'm trusting you and I'm following you. But it's at such a distance that they miss out on so much that the Lord has for them if they would draw near. It's hard to follow closely to the Lord. It's hard to follow His example. It means suffering. It means difficulty. It means trial. It means going into situations that we don't want to go into. And we don't know what's going to happen. That's where the reward is. And that's where the blessing is of knowing Him and getting to know Him even more. Follow His example. Follow His steps. Now before we look at the Scripture and begin to see what it might look like to follow in Jesus' steps, there's three doctrines that stand out that we can't miss. Number one is the doctrine of incarnation. Do you see where it says, He suffered? 
He could have only suffered in the truest sense of the word if he had taken on himself flesh. If he had taken on himself humanity. He himself suffered for us. He bore in his own body. Which was a real body just like you and I have this morning. The incarnation of Christ. Not some half God, half man. Not some superman. All God, all man. There's only one, Jesus. And then the second doctrine that we see in this, this short passage is the doctrine of sanctification. Which means to follow Him, to grow in Him, to grow in our understanding of Him, to grow in our, our, our knowledge of Him as we experience His working in our life, as we come to understand His Word more and more in His character as He reveals to us in His Word. Sanctification. To be saved, to have our sins forgiven is one thing, but the Lord doesn't mean for our experience with Him to end there, it is to follow Him. To grow in our understanding of Him and in our desire to know Him even more. And then there's the third one, and that is the atonement. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He, he atoned for us. He paid for sin. There are three aspects of that that we see in this passage of atonement that Jesus paid for our sins. And by the way, I want to encourage you to read Isaiah 53 because Peter borrows heavily from Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 53 and he uses terminology and he uses the, the same doctrine that God spoke to Isaiah. So please read Isaiah 53 and pay particular attention to that because it's all through this passage. There are three aspects of the atonement that we see here in this passage. That is, it is sacrificial. He, for us, He is the sacrifice, the sinless sacrifice. If Jesus would have committed one sin, He could have only paid for His sin, and He couldn't have paid for ours. So the sacrifice must have been sinless to take our sins that we could not have paid for except by our own death and we would have still remained separated from God. So He had to become separated for us and take the wrath of sin for us. And the only way that He could do that is to be sinless Himself. So the sacrifice was sinless and perfect. The Lamb was to be without spot or blemish in the Old Testament sacrificial system. There's no such thing as a perfect animal. There's no such thing as a perfect person. But Jesus was perfectly pure and without sin. And to underscore that point, Peter says what? Not even any sin was found in his lips, in his speech. Not for one moment. With one syllable. With one tone in the way that he said something. Was there sin found? Not a bit. There's this aspect in the Old Testament sacrificial system that once a year, the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, there would be a, a goat that would be brought forth and it would be sacrificed and killed and its blood would be spilled. And then the priest would, in a symbolic way, lay upon a second goat the sins of Israel for all of that past year and then they would turn it loose and let it escape into the mountains. It, a scapegoat. It bore the sins in a symbolic sense. Well, Jesus was the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world, John 1 declares. 
He is the perfect sinless sacrifice whose blood cleanses us from sin, but he's also the the sacrifice that carries the sin away, perfectly fulfilling that type that we see in the Old Testament. Not only was his the atonement sacrificial, it was number two, it was sufficient. It was all we need. You don't add to your salvation or add to what Christ has done for us by going to church or by being a good Christian or by fulfilling certain obligations. His atonement, His sacrifice, what He did for you and what He did for me is absolutely, perfectly sufficient. You cannot add to it. All that we do as believers is not in somehow to enhance our salvation, it is done in thankfulness for what Jesus has provided for us. You can't make God happier with you by doing anything. God's love for you is perfect. But His pleasure in His Son, there's no way that we can accomplish that. See, some people, it's almost as if they're trying to work for God in a way to appease God or to please God in some way. God said to one and to one only, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You and I cannot please God. There's no way that any of us in the flesh can please God. He is perfectly holy, but His Son was perfect and holy, and His sacrifice alone is sufficient to Please, the Father's requirement for sin. And so it's only when you or I are in Christ, only when we put our trust completely in Him, our confidence in Him and in Him alone, not in ourselves at all. And then as believers, we live our daily lives in gratitude and in thankfulness for what He's done for us, not to try to add on in any way or to try to please God in any way, Anybody that labors under that kind of burden, they're going to labor in misery, not in joy. Because you cannot, we know that. Intuitively, we know that we fail the Lord. Do you ever fail the Lord? Anybody fail the Lord this week? Every day. Christ was perfect. No sin, no failure. His sacrifice is sufficient. Not only was a sac- sacrificial and he was sinless in that sacrifice. It is completely sufficient. It is substitutionary for us. Our sins were imparted or placed on him. His righteousness imputed, given to us. Our righteousness is not deserved by anything that we do, have done, could ever do. It is only because of his righteousness. He was our substitute, paid for our sin, Live the life we couldn't live. Perfect son. You and I are not perfect. Nowhere close. But in Christ, God looks on us and he sees his son. He sees him. And that's how we're saved. Now there's four works of Christ that stand out. Number one, he was pure and without sin. We've briefly mentioned that. Hebrews 7.26 talks about he was holy and harmless and undefiled. That's Hebrews 7.26. Number two, he was perfect in speech. This is also a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 53, 9. James said this, If any man sins not with his tongue, that same person is a perfect man. There's only one. And that's found in James chapter 3 and verse 2. 
Anybody uh, think that you might have possibly sinned with your tongue this week? Maybe not just, no, raise your hand now, but I mean, yeah, that's, and, and if there's any way that we can be perfect in our speech, our tone, sometimes even our facial expression, then if there's any way that we could ever get that down, we would be vastly better as far as our own righteousness, but our tongue betrays us, doesn't it? Our tone betrays us. Sometimes just the way we look at someone, it betrays that there is guile in our heart. We're not perfect. You see, what's inside you and what's inside me must come out at certain points. I hate that it does, don't you? But it does. Now, sin was dethroned at the point of salvation for every believer, but it was not destroyed. The Bible's very clear. I encourage you to read Romans 6, 7, and 8 to talk about that sin nature that still dwells within us because I believe with all my heart if it still dwelt within Paul, it dwells within me. That we still deal with that sin nature, but it no longer has the mastery over us if we're truly believers. Now you can try to act like you're a believer and think that you're a believer, but your heart and your actions and your mouth will betray that every time. Often. Over and over again. But not Jesus. Pure without sin. Perfect in speech. And then thirdly, powerfully demonstrated his obedience. He committed himself to the Father over and over again. He didn't depend on his own strength even though he was perfect. He continually surrendered to the will of the Father. Continually demonstrated obedience in such a powerful way. Fourth, he placed himself in the Father's hands. Now what that means is it's in the imperfect tense in the original language, which means from the very beginning of Christ's life to the very end, he did not fail at any point to place himself into the Father's hands. I don't know where, where you are right now in your spiritual walk. I don't know where you are as far as what's going on in your life. And you know what? I don't need to know as a pastor. Now, there may be points where you might feel the need, and, and that's certainly what we ought to do as believers, to go to other folks, and maybe even come to the pastor at times and say, this is where I am. Could you pray for me? Could you give me a little insight? Got any scriptural wisdom that you can give me? And we're to do that as believers and speak grace to one another and minister to one another. But only the Lord knows exactly where you are. Now, you're not required to have the perfect wisdom to respond exactly as you should in every situation. That's a burden that can't be placed on anyone. But you know what you and I are required to do? And what we can do by the grace of God? Yield and surrender to the Father at every point. Lord, I don't understand what's going to happen here. And Lord, I don't know what's going on. And Lord, I don't have the wisdom to kind of navigate through it. I'm going to get the help that I need. I'm going to get some counsel. But Lord, whatever happens here and whatever you're doing here, even I may never understand it, but Lord, I yield to you. I surrender to you. Follow his steps. If the Lord did that, if our perfect Christ did that, how much more do I need to do that? Every single day, moment by moment, do I need to surrender to him to place myself in the Father's hands. Now, let me just give you a couple of steps as we close. 
that as we follow Jesus like Peter did, and he followed him from afar, but no doubt he recorded many of those in Mark's gospel, and he probably had some of these things in mind as he wrote, and we see them over and over again in First and Second Peter. Follow Jesus. That 2,100 feet or so from where he left the praetorium beaten, mocked, made fun of, and as he carried the cross down the Via Dolorosa, the pavement, out the wall, city wall of Jerusalem, and onto the hill of Golgotha. I think the first thing that we might see is there was no complaint. No complaint. He knew that suffering was his father's perfect plan. There was no pushback at all. That was settled in the garden. It had always been settled in his heart since before even time began. He was yielded to the perfect plan of God. Was it easy? No. He said, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. That wasn't a complaint. That was real. That was pain. That was difficulty. It's not complaining to God to say, God, I'm hurting. God, I don't understand. God, if there's any other way that that, that this can come about, God, please let it be so. But the bottom line for every believer that truly seeks God's will is to say, it's not about me. Not my will. It's about you. Your will be done. That's following the steps. No complaint. No complaint. Secondly, all the way to the cross, he was others focused. He was always giving a word or giving a a look even to Peter or at the cross ministering to the one thief beside him. Others focused. So oftentimes when we're enveloped with trial and difficulty, it's so easily to become focused on ourselves, turned in, as it were. But you don't see that with the Lord Jesus. He was always others focused, for this is why He came, for us. Thirdly, He was always under authority. He didn't fight or resist in any way, even when that authority was under just even when that authority in and of itself was unlawful he did not resist authority even though he with one word or i think probably even a look he could have called thousands of angels and they could have eradicated all of the roman army that was there in jerusalem at that time he yielded to the father's authority and he did not resist earthly authority young people that's one of the first and best lessons you can learn as a young christian is to understand God's blessings and God's purposes and God's intentions for us obeying authority. And we see that in following Jesus' steps. Fourth, his endurance without bitterness. He walked alone. No disappointment in those who abandoned him. Did not call out to his disciples and say, where are you? What are you doing? I'm here. Don't you care? His disciples said that when Jesus was asleep. Lord, don't you care that we're drowning? But... Not from the Lord. In fact, he told them the night before, he said, this is going to be very difficult for you. I want to tell you what's going to happen. You're all going to forsake me and flee. He told them that. There's absolutely no bitterness, no disappointment. Follow his steps. It's so easy to allow bitterness to creep into our heart. So easy to allow disappointment in others because people disappoint us. 
Guess what? Have you ever disappointed yourself? Yeah. Don't put on others what you don't put on yourself. In fact, turn to Christ. Let that disappointment just evaporate. You'll never be disappointed in the Lord. He was not disappointed. He endured without bitterness. Hebrews 12, verses 2 through 4. Fifth, he endured without retaliation. He took the blows. He took the taunts. He took the mocking. He took the ridicule. He took the being stripped naked. He took it all without any retaliation. You can tell the spiritual maturity of believers by what happens when the worst situations that can come about in their lives, the worst that they could endure, inflicted by others who perhaps are even the closest to them, what comes out of them during that time really is a, a measure of who they are inside. Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those that despitefully use you. And all along the way, he perfectly lived that out. Now, you and I are not perfect. I mean, you know, we've often thought, you know, if the Bible says if someone strikes you, turn the other cheek. What would you do? You know, I've kind of thought about, well, I'd turn the other cheek, I'd let them hit me again, and then I would deck them after that. Because he doesn't say. But that, that's not exactly what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about our heart. Now, defend your family? Absolutely. Stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves, like the unborn? Absolutely. But don't retaliate. Someone does you wrong, someone offends you, someone hurts you, someone says malicious things about you, you go to the Lord and you stay on your knees before the Lord, surrendered in your heart, you let the Lord take care of that. Vengeance is mine, saith who? The Lord. Not me, the Lord. Vengeance is mine, saith. You leave that with me. You've been treated unjustly. You've been spoken against unkindly. You've had someone hurt you so deeply you're the one being harmed if you hold on to that bitterness, if you try to retaliate. You're not hurting that other person so much. You're hurting yourself. And then you're hurting those that are closest to you. So endurance without retaliation. Number six, endurance without defensiveness. And he was not defensive, did not say anything at all to his accusers. Many times was just completely silent. Seventh, surrendered heart. He prayed the word. He breathed the word. Almost everything that came forth from the Lord at, at the cross was the word. God, that it would be so in our heart, we'd be surrendered to the word. Surrendered. Breathing, breathing in grace and breathing out praise as we sing. Amen. It's following in the steps. And then next, a trusting heart submitted to the sovereign will of his Father. If you see as you're reading through, you can see all of these or many of these in this passage. Committed himself, verse 23, to him that judgeth rightly, righteously. Do you believe, do you really believe that God will do right? Then why would we ever trust in our own wisdom, only rely on our own strength, try to do what we think is best because we don't really trust God to work out what's best in our life. Why would we ever do that if we really trusted God to do what's right? You can trust God with your life. You can trust God with your relationships. You can trust God with your trials. You can trust God with your struggles. You can trust God with whatever 
you're having a difficult time with, whatever you're struggling with, you can trust God. He will do what's right. Do you know what one thing that I've found absolutely for certain in my life? Experience. And it's not experience, it's the most important thing. It's the Word of God. But when experience corresponds to the Word of God and we can give witness to the Word of God being true, then experience has some value. One thing that I know absolutely for certain is Leroy Wagner is not absolutely 100% of the time trustworthy. I don't trust myself. I don't trust my reactions, my responses. I don't trust my ability to deal with situations in a godly way. I don't trust my mind to think always as it ought to think. Corresponding to that is, I've absolutely found 100% of the time God to be trustworthy. Now, why would Leroy Wagner ever at any point take the reins when I know, I know that I'm going to fail at points? I know that I'm not going to respond in the right way at points. I know that I'm not going to say the right thing. Why would I ever take the reins away from God and say, I've got this, when I know that God is trustworthy? You know why? We're human. But that's no excuse. That's just the reality. But it's no excuse. Because Peter says, follow his steps. This was for an example for you. That's why you've got to lean on him, trust him, get into his word. That's why you've got to start by giving your life to him. Yielding. Some of you have not done that. You've never yielded your life to Christ. So you've not even begun this journey that the kids were singing about and learning about this week. You're not even on that journey. You're wandering someplace who knows where. So start by soul surrender, yielding your life to Christ. And then it's a daily journey, just like these kids. Some of these kids are smarter about this than some of us adults. Just what they've picked up on this week, what they've learned this week. Well, lastly this confident and we've already spoken to that and the trustworthiness and the goodness of God but the last thing is understanding the will of God understanding the will of God now what I mean by that Jesus knew that the will of God although it included pain for himself as he bore our sins that we cannot comprehend the will of God primarily meant a platform for God's character, for God's love, for God's mercy, and for God's glory. That's what God's will is. And Jesus understood that. He said, it's for this reason that I came. For what reason do you believe that God saves you? It's not just to get you into heaven. It is so, in a sense, certainly a much smaller sense but the same as the Lord's, that our lives, our difficulties, our struggles would be a platform to display God's trustworthiness, God's mercy, God's goodness, God's power, and God's glory. Don't you want that for your life? Do you want to live out your whole life and look back and say, well, there it is. That's what I could do. Doesn't look like much now. Yeah, I worked hard, did the best I could, failed a lot, succeeded some. But now it's over. There it is. 
Look at it. Doesn't seem a whole lot for a life lived. What's it all matter now? You see, each one of us, we're going to come to that point one day, unless we die suddenly, we're going to be able to look back. Or wouldn't it be great? And this is what God offers all of us as believers. Evan's right. It's, it's, I'm through. And he is right. Don't, don't judge him because he is exactly right. It is time. See, I'm letting the little ones lead. The Bible says, you know, the little ones shall lead them. But wouldn't it be great? And only in Christ can we do this to look back over our life with gratitude and with humility and with praise toward God and say, God, I've messed up so much. God, I failed you and I let you down. I let others down. But God, you were so good that in spite of my weaknesses, in spite of my sin, in spite of my selfishness, you allowed me to grow and to trust you. And you worked in my life in spite of it. And God, as I look back, you allowed me at some points, and I'm so grateful to display how good you were to display your grace and mercy. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to be used by you just in such a small way. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great if after you've been gone for years, people be sitting around in a room and those who are children now are young adults or adults and they mention your name and they say, you know, how they lived their life and they relay a story. They showed me a path to follow the Lord. I never forgot what they said. I never forgot what they did. I never forgot that moment when they pointed me to the Lord, when they lived out what they believed. And they speak of you, not in a way that lifts you up, but in a way that glorifies God. Wouldn't that be awesome? I want that for my life. I want that for your life. And it can happen. And it will happen. If we follow our guide. Amen, Claire? Follow our guide. Jesus is our guide. Follow His steps. We're called to this and nothing less. That's what we're called to. Follow His steps. What Jesus has done, He's done for us. What we do, we do because of what He's done for us. We couldn't live a perfect life. He did. We couldn't endure the suffering he did. We couldn't die the death that He did. We couldn't trust the Father as He did. We cannot forgive our tormentors and our murderers as He did. We could not bear our own sins as a payment that He did. We could not do in any part for ourselves what He did. And what He did, He did it all for you, for us. What can be our response to that? For this is the reason why you were called. This is the purpose. The reason for living. Because Christ suffered for us. Leaving us an example. That we should follow. In his steps. Amen. Let's pray. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Just to.
brief moment. Have you begun that journey of following in his steps? If you have not, I urge you not to delay any longer. It's not religion. It's not being baptized. It's not trying to do the best you could, can, being a good person, giving up some stuff, starting doing some other stuff. That's, it's Jesus or nothing. It's Him alone that can save us and then give us the strength to live <coughs> that salvation out in our daily lives. Follow in His steps. Oh, you can't do that on your own strength. Nobody can. Follow in His steps. Only by trusting what he has done for you in the cross. Bore your sins. Carried your sins. Paid for your sins. Suffered for your sins. You don't have to continue to suffer for your sins. He's done that suffering for you. Cling to him. Trust him. Wrap your arms, your heart around him and follow him. Heavenly Father we bow before you in this holy moment Lord we all are so aware of how far we've fallen short of your glory of what you intended for us of perfection that none of us not even for one day can achieve but yet Lord we look to you our perfect Savior who did all that you did for us and the only right response is to say, Lord, I will follow you. I will follow you. Lord, give us the strength. Give us the grace. And you will, if we'll trust you, to do that. Nothing less. And we could not do more than what you've done. Nothing less, though, than to follow you is our call. In Jesus' name.